Last week we began uh, in 1 John chapter 4, and we began looking at this idea of, of exactly what God's love is and how love is defined and how it's different from the conception that we have in our culture and the world around us, that love is very particular and, and, and that love really biblical love that we talk about is defined as, as something that is patient, kind, and honest, and that that love actually has its origin in God and God alone, and that, that this love, when we receive and we give that love, it it's, it's really is what connects us with God himself. And, and, and so here's what's interesting. Last week, we, we talked through this, and we talked about what love is, what it's not, and, and it's interesting because information like that has its limit. Gaining information is great. I, I, I had great conversations with people last week, and I think, I think we, we really had a great, a, a, a great time together last week. And we had that, that diagram up that, that talked about kind of what, what love is and, and how the intersection of patience, kindness, and honesty and, and when we just kind of focus on some of those things. And, 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 and I think that was super helpful. It was super helpful for me to visualize and understand God's love. And, I, and I've heard from a number of people that it was helpful for them. But, but, but that's information. If we just leave it at the place where we're informed, we have a problem. Because gaining information is great. But as human beings, we, we tend to need experience along with our information. And if you want to test that, just, just make a mistake and then tell someone not to make that mistake because you've experienced that. What do they tend to do? Take your word for it and not make that mistake? Not really. They go out and make that mistake themselves. Because we, we understand best by the combination of information and experience. When you think about it... Um, who has the better opportunity to land a job? Somebody with a college education or the person with college education and experience? And, and, and it goes to that person almost every time who has the education and the experience. Um, have you ever tried to, to put something together? Like you get a piece of furniture maybe from Ikea or somewhere else or whatever and you've got the directions, the instructions. Um, even with the instructions, I tend to put it together wrong every time. Unless I've put it together once before, wrong, then the next time I put it together, I usually put it together right, usually. But, but isn't that how it is that, that I've got the information, but I still don't quite nail it? <laughs> but if I've experienced that before, I, I do a better job with it because I have the information and the experience of, of having done it before. And here's the thing, because God is love, he must communicate not only with words, not only in his written words, but he, he communicates also in action. That's how, how God does it, that's how he works in us. And, and so he communicates with us, not just with words, but also in action. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to, turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking in verses 9 and 10 this week. But here's, here's the struggle. Here's, I think, our struggle when it comes to God's love for us. We tend to think we know what other people think, and we think we're right, don't we? 
Um, I, th- I think we, we do this in, in most, if not all, relationships. Even when we don't really know what another person is thinking, we have all of these ideas and assumptions about what other people are thinking. And we might be fairly accurate in that moment of thinking what maybe someone else might be thinking about us, but oftentimes we're wrong. How, how often have you had to correct someone when they said, well, this is, I did this because I, I thought that you were thinking this? Um, again, this shows up great in, I think, anniversaries, um, thinking that, that I know what she wants, but thinking wrong, <laughs> or often in, in gifts and things like that. You know, you, you run into those things more, more frequently than we'd like to, but, but we tend to think we think what other people are thinking, and we think we're right. And we do this, I think, with God as well. How, how often, I think for myself, have I come to God in prayer, and my approach has been this. Either I've said this or I've felt this. God's got to be so tired of me bringing this to him. God's got to be so frustrated because this is the whatever time I've asked forgiveness for this. How often do we go to God thinking we know what he's thinking? That he's frustrated with us or he's annoyed that he felt like he dealt with this before and now we're coming back to him again. And that, that he's, he's frustrated and tired of these things and he just doesn't even wanna hear from us. I don't know how, how you feel about that but, but I know that I very often come from that position of thinking that I know what God is thinking and he's not thinking very positively toward me. You see, here's here's the thing about God's love. God's love is not about me. It's not dependent on me. It's not linked to me. So often we come up with different ideas and we've heard maybe other people when maybe you've been in conversations with people who who you're trying to help understand God's love and his desire for them. And, and we come up with all of these reasons. We, th- we, we say things like, well, I can't believe that God could really love me. Or I don't believe that God could love me because of these things that I've done or because of these things that I keep doing. Or we come to this place where, where maybe life is difficult and, and, and we're in a dark place. And we don't feel like God loves us. We've got all of these things that kind of come up. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's that we just really feel like we haven't done anything to really deserve God's love. And so we go to this place of maybe when I reach this point, then I'll really experience or, 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 or I'll feel God's love. It'll be more real. Then I can kind of rest in God's love. I won't have to keep working for God's love. Or maybe it's just as simple as I just don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm really loved. We've got all these things that we, we come up with, but here's, here's the reality, and here's the, the sim- maybe the most simplest way to say this. Our act as human beings, our act was to sin. That was our act. God's act was to love and to send. See, our, our act was to sin. That's what we've done. We've sinned. Every single one of us. Right out of the gate. 
That's, what, that's where we are. That's our action. That's our act. But God, his act was to love in spite of our act and to send. Send his son to make it so that we could have those sins forgiven. Our act could be forgiven. And here's the deal. While we are the object of God's love, you and I, we are the object of God's love, we are not the reason for it. And I think that's where we sometimes get mixed up because, because we, think, we think, well, if I'm the object of God's love, there must be something that's, that's, that I need to do or be so that God continues to love me. And that's just a common way that we think because, because that's how we live in relationships, isn't it? That if I'm the object of someone's love, then I need to make sure that I give them reason to love. Because if I'm the object, I need to be a reason as well. But here's the beauty of God's love is that while we are the object, we are not the reason. God loves us because it is his nature, and God's nature will never, ever change. His nature isn't dependent on us. You see, we can think all kinds of things and give all kinds of reasons why God can't or doesn't love us. The problem with thinking that way is that God's love is not dependent on us. As, as we move through these, these few weeks, as we talk about God's love, here's what I've run into. I've, I've come to realize that I have a hard time loving in this way. And, and we'll talk more about this next week. But, but so often, I feel defeated because I failed in loving others. But as we read last week, it, it, John clearly says, he says that, that, that love is from God and anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. And here's, here's where he picks up in verse 9. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. John says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's something that we have to grasp and understand. We never loved first. God loved us first. And because he loved us, when we experience and receive his love, that is the catalyst for us to be able to love. You see, here, here's, here's what John goes through, because here, here's, here's what I believe the, 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 the reality is, that, that unless I experience the reality of God's love in my life, I will forever be frustrated in trying to love others. Because as I said, that while we are the object of God's love, we are not the reason for God's love. The way we naturally love others is reason-based, isn't it? I love you for a reason, and it has to do with something that, that I appreciate about what you are doing or what you are. That's just the reality. And, and, and so 
unless we experience God's love, which is totally different, unless we experience God's love and understand that, then, then we can actually love others. So the big thing in loving other people is that I have to receive God's love before I can truly love anyone else. Here's, here's what God did. We know love because God showed it to us when he sent his son Jesus into the world. Again, looking at what he says in verse nine, he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest. Manifest, made visible. It was, it was shown. It was, it was given. It was experienced among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So the quintessential example of love has been made visible on the cross, which is so interesting that, that love is made visible through this really devastating and difficult image of Jesus on the cross. And, and so we cannot find this love if we begin at the human end of things. It has to start at the divine. It has to start with God. And so we find it in that God loved us and sent his son to restore fellowship with us. God loved us so much. And, and, and oftentimes, when I, if, if I were to think of sacrificing for someone else for their benefit, where, where I'm the one sacrificing, there is some struggle there in my heart and in my mind. There's probably a combination of, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do, I'm a little frustrated that I have to do this because why would I have to sacrifice to fix something you messed up? <laughs> so there's some frustration in that. There's probably a little bit of annoyance, but ultimately, I'm gonna sacrifice this thing because it's gonna fix what you messed up. And arguably, everything will be better for it. Have you ever had that thought about maybe that's how God was when he gave Jesus to die for us. That maybe God was, was kind of saying, look, it is frustrating to me that I have to fix this and I have to sacrifice my own son. You people frustrate me. But here's the thing. God did it out of his love for us, which was his patience, his kindness, and his honesty. When we are patient, it means we're willing to wait. We're willing to allow time to pass. We're willing to suffer long in order for something good to be accomplished. But not just was he patient, but kind. Because see, adding kind to patience changes the kind of patience we experience, doesn't it? Because I often practice frustrated patience I have a hard time practicing kind patience. But that's what God's love is. It is kind patience with us. So God's not, God didn't send Jesus by saying, look, I, I, I don't, I, I'm so frustrated that I have to sacrifice Jesus so that you can, you can have your sins forgiven. That's not kind, kindness, is it? And, and so, and, and all of that, and, and so it's so interesting that the reality is that we are sinners and the objects of God, God's wrath and it is righteous for him to destroy us, to destroy sin and evil. 
Yet even God's wrath is motivated by his love. He at great cost to himself with kindness, with patience, and honesty about who we are and what we deserve provides a way into fellowship. And so, and, so, and so again, going off of what we talked about last week, that, that God's love really is, we can see it through the, the biblical attributes of patience and kindness and honesty. Here's how this really fleshes out. Here's the evidence in God's word that God loves us this way. God loves you, again, not in a frustrated way, but God loves you in a way that, that, that is so profound and so freeing and so powerful. So, so part of how God loves us is, is he loves us in a patient way. If you look at second, if you don't have to go there, but second Peter 3, 9, Peter writes this. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's Patience. You see, God, God already, Jesus Christ already gave his life, was, was willing to die on a cross and raised from the dead. You would think at the point of the resurrection, that would be the, the line, the moment where God says, okay, now look what I've done. Now everybody has to make a decision right now. And then I'm gonna close, close off the responses and you're gonna have to live with what you've decided. But God, Peter says, God is patient with us and do you know how long we have, how patient God is with us, how long we have to make the decision to accept his forgiveness until we breathe our last breath? Every one of us has until we cease breathing on earth. That's how patient God is. He's waiting. He's waiting for us. In, in 1 Timothy 1.16 Paul writes to Timothy, he says, but I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Notice what, what Paul says. He says, he, he describes himself as the worst of sinners. And he says, but God used this as an opportunity to display his perfect patience so that everyone else who thinks that they're bad would realize that God can wait it out. God's patience is greater than their sin. And then in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, Paul writes again, he says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Steadfastness there is literally tra translated patient endurance. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the patience, patient endurance of Jesus Christ. God's love toward us is patient. And, and then we look at this idea that, that it's kind. Because again, I can be patient but, but not be kind. But see, God's patient is also kind. In, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes this. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love 
that are in Christ Jesus. He says, he describes God's patience with him as merciful and graceful. That's kindness. And, and, then, and then later, or in, in, in his letter to the Romans, in Romans 2, 4, Paul, Paul writes this. He says, uh, after talking about the depth of our rebellion and our sin and the way we treat God, he says, he says or do you presume on the riches of his, God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God, here's what's interesting. I think so often my default is to bully someone in to doing what I want them to do or to force someone into that. You know, like, it's that idea that, that, that you know what, when, when my kids were little, um, I wanted obedience, and so I had the power, and so I could make them obey, right? Here's what God says. God, Paul says of God, he says, you know how God brings us to obedience? It's through being kind to us. God doesn't make us obey him because he's got all the power, although he could, but what God does is he treats us with kindness, and his desire is to be so kind to us that we come to a place where we repent. When you think about repentance, wanting someone to repent, you think maybe guilting them into repentance would be the direct, the direct way to do it, right? Have you ever thought, rather than trying to guilt someone into saying they're sorry, out kindnessing them to the point of them recognizing that? That's God's method. And I don't, I don't know if that's really an actual phrase or term, out kindnessing, but that's what God does. That's what Paul says in Romans 2, 4. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus makes this statement. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Here's, the one, here's something that we as believers need to recognize is that God loves us and he loves the worst people that we encounter. Jesus himself says in Luke, he says that God is kind to the ungrateful. I have a hard time being kind to those who are ungrateful and it says he's kind to the evil. God even out kindnesses evil. Even to the evil man or woman, God is kind to. And, and that, that came from Jesus himself. Finally, in, in, Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is what God did. God was kind to you, so you be kind to one another. And then that third piece to love is honesty. And I, and I think honesty is, is a hard part of that for some because, see, honesty isn't necessarily always good feeling. <laughs> Sometimes we're honest with somebody and it feels terrible, doesn't, doesn't it? Sometimes not telling people the truth would feel better than being honest with them. 
But you see, that's part of it. Patience, kindness, and honesty. And, and, and in, in Romans 3, 10 through 12, here's the honesty that God has with us. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's tough truth, isn't it? <laughs> That's kind of hard to hear. I mean, imagine going and just saying that to somebody. Like, that's, that's probably not in the, the, the conventional wisdom of raising kids, saying, you are bad. <laughs> probably not, not the direction you go. But, but, but that's, that's honesty. But, but couple that with what Paul says later in Romans 3, a few verses later, he says this, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's God being honest with us saying, yes, there is a reality that you, humanity, you as a, a man or woman are in a predicament of, of sin and it's kind of hopeless, but here's also the truth, that God is willing to forgive and he is willing to sacrifice his own son and he did that so that you can be forgiven. That's God being honest with us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, Paul writes this in verse 17. He writes, therefore, and this is God's honesty with us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's God speaking truth to us. That, that, that for anyone who is in Christ, anyone who, who surrenders their life to Christ and asks God to forgive their sins, then that person is a new creation. That the old has passed away and the new has come. Later in verse 21, Paul writes this, for our sake... He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the God-honest truth about us. That God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what God's love is. It is patient, kind, and honest. God tells us the truth. Finally, in Romans 8, 15, Paul writes this, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, that we are part of God's family that we are his sons and daughters. That's how God is honest with us. He doesn't pull punches and he doesn't say, well, you're not that bad. He says, no, sin means death and separation from me forever. But Jesus is life. And if you're willing to trust him, 
then you have victory. Then you are a new creation. Then, then you are my sons and daughters. And, and, and so, you see, sending Jesus into the world was not prompted by man's love for God. It wasn't, God didn't, didn't prompt God because some person at some point in the world would say, man, I know that I'm terrible, but I think God is good. <laughs> That's not how it worked. Sending Jesus in the world wasn't prompted by man's love for God, but it was prompted by God's love for man. And, and, and it says in verse 9 and 10, there's two purposes for the death of Christ. First, he says, he says that, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, the first thing he says that, that, that God sent Jesus so that we would live through Christ. You see, the only way we can, we can escape death an eternal separation from God is if we actually live through Christ. That's one of the reasons Jesus died on the cross so that we could live through him. And secondly, he says that Jesus might be the propitiation for our sins. What that means, this is the act of Jesus taking all the wrath of God upon himself because God is righteous. But that's why Paul wrote in Romans that said that God did this so that he could be the just and the justifier, that God could be righteous and he could be merciful, that he could be righteous and that he could be graceful, that he could be righteous and he could be kind. You see, this is something that, that, that God did flowing from love that makes it possible for us to be forgiven. And so Jesus died so that we would live, we would have life, and so that God could forgive us. The sending of Jesus was both the revelation of God's love and the very essence of love itself. It is not our love that's primary, but God's free. It's his uncaused. It's his spontaneous love for us that is unearned, and, and we are not the reason for it. All our love is but a reflection of his and a response to it. You see, when we actually receive and understand and experience God's love, it is a game changer. All that's great, and it's solid information. But here's the problem that, that I think we face, is that, that hearing all that and even agreeing with it and believing it does us little good if we don't experience it. The seminary professor had, a, he had one of the more kind of gen ed courses in a seminary, and he had 120 students in his classroom. And this is the question he asked his students. He said, how many of you know that God's love, know that God loves you and you have experienced his love. Out of the 120 seminary students, two of them answered yes without any kind of clarification or explanation or, 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 or 
slight concerns. Only two said that we know that God loves us and we have experienced that love. The rest had, had all kinds of different degrees of saying, well, yes, we know that God loves us, but I don't feel it like I wish I felt it. I think that, that you and I struggle with God's love, experiencing it. I, I don't struggle with knowing that God loves me. I believe what God said. But, but here's where I think we, we run into some things. Some of us, I think even in this room, even here's the deal. I think even as believers, I think as, as people who've been forgiven and made righteous before God, I think even those of us who, who that characterizes don't experience God's love for some reason. And I think for some of us, I think some of us even in here, we have specific reasons that we reject God's love. And what I mean by that is that I think it's possible to follow Jesus but reject God's love because of something that we feel God didn't live up to in our lives. Maybe it's this disappointment that you had. Maybe it's something that happened to you. But there's something that, that keeps us from experiencing God's love because of something we're hanging on to that we blame God and say, God, you can't love me that way because you allowed this to happen. I think some of us in here, maybe, maybe that's our experience. I think others in here might be at that point where we have some specific reasons why we won't receive God's love. And it's not because of something God does, it's because of me. <laughs> it's that, yeah, God says all of these things and he says he loves us and, and he says that he cares for us and, and I understand the concept that God's love is patient, kind, and honest. But, but here's the problem. I have done this or, or I am this or I keep doing this and, and I, I'm not worthy of God's love. God can't love me. Because of me. Some of us fall into that place. And we have reasons. And we'll forever have reasons why we can't receive God's love. But as for as many people are maybe in those categories, here's, as I was thinking this week, here's, I think, where I fall. I'm not in that place where I think that, that God's, allowed something to happen and I, and I just can't accept his love because I don't think he can love because of what's happened in my life. I'm not there. And, and I'm not at the place where I think I've done something too bad that God can't love me through it. I've, I mean, I've done some bad things. It's not that I haven't, but I believe what God says in his word that his love is greater than my sin. Here's where I struggle, and I don't know if you identify with this. There's just this thing that God's love is so often feeling so far away or just not practical for what I'm facing today or just kind of nebulous in my experience of life that God's love just 
is hard to experience. Like, I know what he says, but I don't know how much I feel it. And maybe that's where you are, that, that, that it's not that you don't believe God loves you or you think he can't love you, but maybe you're just a place of saying, I, I don't know if I feel it. Like I hear people talking about God's love for them and, and how significant it is, but I don't know if that's my experience. I want that to be my experience, but I don't know if that is. It's almost too good to be real but God's love is more real than, than the air that we breathe. And, and here's the thing. I will not love others well until I experience that kind of love from God. And here's the thing. It's not God's fault that, I, that maybe I struggle with experiencing that. It actually comes down to the fact that there's so much baggage that I carry that it's difficult to see through to God's love. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. And, 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 and here's, here's what I want us to, to end with this morning. My, my challenge for you is for this week to begin to move forward in experiencing God's love for you. Because see, God loves you. You are the object of God's love, but you're not the reason for it. He loves you regardless. And so here's, here's a few things that I would challenge you to even just, maybe even write down, but, but, but accepting God's love. Here's, here's how I would suggest that we begin the process of even accepting and experiencing God's love. Number one, trust who God says he is. Trust who God says he is. Believe that he is who he says he is. Let him speak for himself. Don't think that you think that you know what he's thinking. <laughs> Let him tell you what he's thinking through his word. Secondly, believe who God says you are. You are the object of his love. And finally, allow God to love you. And you know what, that even is as simple as saying, God, help me to experience your love. Help me to allow you to love me. Here's the homework that I wanna give you, hopefully that will help. Like I said, I think we all have reasons why we struggle with God's love. And I don't know if many of us have been very intentional in actually nailing those reasons. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Number one, this week at some point, I would challenge you to write out to God, whether a letter or in a journal or something like that, write out to God why you think he can't or doesn't love you. Write that to him. Put it, put it on paper. Put words to it. And if it's something kind of nebulous, well, then write that. God, I don't know why I don't experience your love. But write it down. And then every morning this week, every morning when you get up and every night before you go to bed, I would challenge you to read Romans 8, 37 to 39. Because I think this is the clearest thing that God tells us about his love. Paul writes, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, the moment you're born to the moment you die, nor angels nor rulers, those spiritual beings, nor things present nor things to come, nor things that I presently do or things that I may do in the future, and that includes my past as well, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let that be the thing you wake up to and the thing you go to bed at night to. And then here's, here's my final challenge this morning, and I'm gonna invite the worship team to come, come up, and, and, and they're, gonna, they're gonna lead us in an opportunity to kind of receive and experience God's love. But here's the big challenge for this week. I would challenge you to share what you write to God, the reasons you think he can't love you or you don't experience his love. I would challenge you to read that to those in your resurrection community. Take a chance and step out and let the people around you who, who God has placed around you, let them know why you think you're such a challenge for God. And let them speak God's truth into your life. I am more and more becoming more convinced that we need to be more vulnerable and more open and more willing to share with those God has placed around us so that they can prophetically speak God's truth into the lies that we believe and the hurdles we need to overcome. The worship team is gonna, is gonna sing a song and, and during this time, you can sing along if you want, but, but here's, here's what our desire is to, to begin to confront you with the extravagant love of God, the depth with which God loves you. If, if right now you need to take time to kind of sit and just pray, if you need to just listen if you need to think about what you need to do next. We just want this to be an opportunity for you to kind of receive and begin to experience God's love. Jesus, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that we are the objects of your love without reason. God, I pray that we would experience the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name.